You're listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. I'm your guest host, Vesper Stamper, and this is the Summer Series, Episode 5. In today's show, I'll be talking with award-winning author, illustrator, and doll maker, Vanessa Brantley-Newton. Vanessa Brantley-Newton was born during the Civil Rights Movement and attended school in Newark, New Jersey. She was part of a diverse, tight-knit community and learned the importance of acceptance and empowerment at an early age. As an illustrator, Vanessa includes children of all ethnic backgrounds in her stories and artwork. She wants all children to see their unique experiences reflected in the books they read, so they can feel the same sense of empowerment and recognition she experienced as a young reader. Vanessa celebrates self-love and acceptance of all cultures through her work, and hopes to inspire young readers to find their own voices. In this episode, I talk with Vanessa about her background as an illustrator, as well as topics such as synesthesia, prayer, and the significance of our names. Patrons of the podcast can enjoy an additional interview segment with Vanessa on diversity and race in our current cultural climate. Visit patreon.com slash makersandmystics to learn more. This is my interview with illustrator Vanessa Brantley-Newton. Hi, Vanessa. Welcome to the Makers and Mystics podcast. Oh, thank you for having me, Vesper. I'm so excited to be here with you. It is great to have you. So I like to start by asking about your childhood. Where did you grow up? What was your family like? And were you always that art kid? <laughs> uh, well, I grew up in a two-parent family home, uh, my mom and dad, and my little sister, Koi. Um, my childhood was pretty interesting. <laughs> very, very interesting. I didn't start talking until I was five years old, and it was because I was a stutterer. And um, the way I expressed myself was through drawing. So I drew on everything. If it was white, it was going to have a picture from me. And I remember one day drawing on the side of the kitchen stove while my mom and dad were cooking and all my Crayola crowns on the, on the floor there. And it kind of got hot and melted down into a puddle on the floor. And I was like, look, I'm an artist. And they were like, no, you're not. You're a janitor. You're going to clean all of this up. And so I was drawing from a time I was about five years old, three, three, three and five. That's when I really start to express myself artistically. So even before you were talking, you were creating and drawing, creating things visually. Absolutely. Oh, that's so, so interesting. And my parents were from the South mm. and we, um, I grew up in Newark, New Jersey. So I'm a brick city girl and um, Newark was hard. It's, it's very hard. And I think for them, the idea of me expressing that I wanted to be an artist was something that they couldn't see. It was basically how can a child be what it's never seen before. We haven't seen any artists. We don't know any artists. So, you know, be a nurse, be a doctor, be, um, uh, you know, anything but that, even a singer, because they were musicians. So it was okay to be a singer and a musician. That That's something that we see, we know, we, we can recognize that. But this art thing, that's just foreign and different. Yeah. Yeah. So when did you decide to make art your vocation and when did it kind of coalesce so that you could tell your parents, hey, this is actually something that I can make a go at? I was afraid to tell them anything, literally just afraid to tell them because um, it was so poo-pooed upon 
and and not because they didn't appreciate our 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 living room and dining room and bedrooms. My mother was very very much into shabby chic before shabby chic became a thing. She was into that kind of thing, you know, finding uh, uh, antique furniture and painting it and making it beautiful and adding new knobs and all that. She was doing that way before Rachel Ashwell <laughs> uh, uh, and paintings. And she would go to thrift stores to find paintings to put on our walls. So art was something that she loved and they loved and they appreciated. It's just you're brown. How can a brown child, you know, even in their minds, it was the fear of, oh, you won't succeed. And so they really put their fear on me of you, you won't succeed in this. We want you to succeed in life. We don't want you to come back here to live with us forever. So, so can you find a job that you can do that will, you know, maybe give you a skill for the rest of your life so we don't have to worry about you? Because this art thing is just not. And then going to the schools that I was going to, Vesper, the, the school uh, that I attended was predominantly white. And I was about the only black child, maybe five other black children in a school of almost 500 white children. And um, uh, the teachers did not really pay attention to us. So the moment they found that I was dyslexic, and they, that wasn't even a word then, dyslexic, um, but they knew I had a special need. And when they found out that, I went instantly into what was called special ed. And in special ed, basically, you are you, you, you're treated as a child with no hope. There's no hope of rehabilitating you or learning your language of how you learn. That wasn't afforded to me. So I would just sit in those classes and I would draw. That's what I would do. I would just pull out paper. I would draw. I, I would draw on the desk. I would draw to express my frustration with Oh, this is something is wrong with my eyes where these images are constantly jumping on the page and I can't read them. So I must be dumb. I must be stupid. And that wasn't the case at all. But, you know, so I, I think I determined in my heart that I was going to be an artist from the time I hit grade school until high school when I met uh, Mr. Snall and Miss Dean, who were my art teachers. And they knew specifically what was your dyslexic and your, your way to communicate is art. That's your way. And it's because of them that I ended up into um, art school. Isn't it always the way it seems like there's just that one or two really special teachers who are just clued in to who you are as a person and they just kind of unlock it for you. It's oh, amazing. Yeah. So, so where did, what did you do after high school? I failed so miserably on my um, SATs. It was, it was awful. Um, you get, they say, 300 points for assigning your name. Uh, I got like 420 on my SATs. And it's because I don't perform well with tests. Right. And um, being dyslexic, everything was just jumping on the page for me. It was not making any sense at all. And um, uh, these two teachers called my parents and told them, listen, um, she wants to go to art school. And they were kind of adamant with, we can't afford it. We don't know this is going to happen. My mother had a very, very best friend who was a model. And uh, I called her Aunt Annie. And Aunt Annie took me to FIT. I'll never forget. I could literally cry about it. She took me to FIT. And they looked at my SAT scores and they said, she, she can't come in. And she said, no, let her draw for you. Just let her draw. And they had never done that for another student. 
That was in the 80s. That was 1981. And I remember sitting there for three hours, drawing, designing clothes, all this stuff. And they were astonished. They were like, oh my God, she really does have the talent to do this. Now, we don't know that she's going to succeed, but I got a letter in the mail saying that I was accepted to FIT. And it was God, God, Aunt Annie, Mr. Snall, and Ms. Dean. That's incredible. That is incredible. Uh, So when did you know that you wanted to specifically go into children's books? And did you have, did you pursue a path of art before you went into children's books? You know, it, it was just fashion illustration. That's what I was into. My mom was a milliner. Yeah. And so she made hats and I made hats right alongside her. Oh, wow. So um, designing was something that I really enjoyed. One of my favorite things to do was to make bridal wear. So when a bride needed a veil, I was I was on it. I knew exactly where to go get flowers from, all the materials, put it together and make the most beautiful headpiece for a wedding or for a show. You know, and so uh, fashion was the thing that really called to me. My mother was also a seamstress. She sewed all of our clothes. So it kind of just lent to that. And it wasn't until a whole bunch later that uh, one of my art teachers was looking at my work and he said, you have this propensity for children. He said, do you do you want to do children's book illustration? I don't like kids. That's what I told him. I don't like kids. I don't, you know, I was, I was in my twenties. I don't, I don't like kids. I don't, I don't even think I'll have children. I don't, you know, and I just went on and on. He goes, no, you really have this thing for children's book illustration. And, uh, it was many years. I mean, almost 20, almost 20 years after that, that I have my own daughter and I'm going through her books and I'm looking at her books and going, wow, you know, I took courses to take this and Now it's really speaking to me. And that's how I really got over into children's books was watching her at school, watching and looking and reading her books and going, wow, this is really, really interesting. This is something that I'm having fun with, you know, and I would make up my own stories to tell her and not to share with her, but share with other children. Because sometimes we look at, well, it's my kid. You know, what is my kid going to say? Oh, mommy, that was great. No, listen to another kid who says, you know, I don't know about that story. And that's what I really wanted to know. And I kind of put myself in my own school at that point. Oh, that's amazing. I'm thinking of your book, um, Mary Had a Little Glam, with the author uh, Tammy Sauer. And just hearing you talk about your mother and, you know, creating, making these creations alongside her, the hats, the bridal wear. I, I love that because I I know about you that fashion is one of those ways that you express yourself. And, you know, some artists, and I'll include myself in this one, we have what I call a studio uniform. You know, it's mm-hmm. like a, you know, t-shirt and jeans and your hair pulled back and that's it. But you have such an amazing style that is really impeccable, but it's also a lot of fun. And I know that um, that's just a, a way, another way besides your, you know, your book art that you like to express yourself. Can you tell me about some of the inspiration behind your self-expression in this area as well? You, you know, um, if I think Vesper, if I wasn't doing children's books, I would probably be doing children's clothing. Mm-hmm. I enjoy it so much. I love seeing little girls and little boys uh, just children dressed very well. 
I love mm-hmm. it. Uh, mm-hmm. If it's a simple T-shirt and um, a red sweater wrapped around their waist um, over blue jeans with a certain type of piping on it or a patch, and then those funky sneakers and their hair a certain way or whatever, that excites me. I love to see children well-dressed. And my mother was so impeccable about the way she made us dress. Um, uh Buster Browns were the thing of the day. So my Buster Browns were shined up to you would not believe. And then also the 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 hair had to be a certain way and the clothing. And I remember, you know, even now at almost 60 years old, I remember my mom uh, dressing me in a red pinafore with um, uh, a red and white Peter Pan collared shirt that was crisp. I mean, it was so crisp. I mean, it, 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 I can still feel the Christmas on my skin. And then those white cotton bobby socks and those Buster Browns on and a beautiful red sweater that went over it and then red bows and barrettes put in my hair. And it was, it was you were dressed impeccable. So when I dress my children in picture books, I want them to... I want children to go, that, that's me. That's the same outfit I have. Or I wish I had that outfit. Um, also to, to dress my teachers. You know, people look at teachers as, oh, they're frumpy. They're, no, 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 no. And mommies don't have to be frumpy either. I, you know, I want to dress my characters. So th- that's very apparent in my artwork. And it's uh, a staple. It's what I'm known for. As a matter of fact, they said in the New York Times about three years ago, there's Vanessa Brantley Newton again with her impeccable, you know, uh, design for children's clothing that her, her characters are going to be well-dressed. It's what I'm known for. Wow. I mean, I could definitely see that. And if, if my kids were still little and you had a line of clothes... That's the way I would be dressing my kids for sure. For sure. I, I mean, you're right. And it's just every one of your characters has such an individuality, you know, whether it's the way they look or the way they dress or the way they act, their poses. I, I just love that. Um, so I wanted to talk shop a little bit. So whenever I look at your work, I'm totally blown away by the range of approaches that you have mm-hmm. and the range of techniques. And every book that you create is distinctly Vanessa, but you seem to never fall into a rut like a lot of illustrators do, like, you know, where they kind of do the same book again and again. And I suspect it has a lot to do with experimentation. So when I see your Instagram, you know, I've seen where you've had these little books that you make, or you fill a sketchbook with experiments, and it seems like you have this real discipline of play. So I would love it if you could take me through maybe not a day or a week in your work life, but let's say a typical cycle. So what are some of the rhythms that are essential to your creativity? Uh, prayer is number one for me. Prayer, prayer and meditation. Um, I practice Tai Chi. I've been practicing Tai Chi now for four years. And um, getting up in the morning and literally spending time with God for me is number one. Um, uh, I find that so much comes to me as far as characters, uh, the needs of children, the needs of adults who haven't really dealt with their five-year-old, all those things kind of come to me. I feel people very, very deeply. I feel them extremely deeply um, uh, to the point where I can get in front of you. And if God is talking to me, I'm going to talk to you. That's, yeah. that, that's number one. Number two is the, to be able to meditate in the morning and just kind of sit and quiet myself and empty the brain of judgment, 
It's got to look like this. It's got to be like this. It's whatever comes to me, whatever makes me feel good, because I am the recipient of it first before I give it to Vesper, before I give it to children, before I give it to anybody else. I got to receive it first. And so uh, emptying my mind of just the whole judgment thing of, oh, you're not good as so, oh, you haven't gotten an award, you haven't done, all that flies out of the window. Mm. Uh, the, the next thing is I'm always inspired by other people. In particular, um, Rebecca Green is one of my favorite illustrators. I love looking at Rebecca Green's work. Um, Felicitia uh, Sal Sala is another mm. one that I adore. I, 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 I love her work. Um, then there are older um, illustrators like Mary Blair the Provinces, um, the Dillons. Um, uh, I, I could go on and on and on with, with different illustrators that I am so intrigued with. And now um, I'm taking these courses with a, a company called Domestokia. Uh, I love Domestokia. <laughs> this, this is not an ad for Domestokia. But if you need to be inspired, go to Domestokia and look. I will just go and look at their, not even buy, the programs. Just look at the different artists. And then I go look up their books. They're amazing. I had, My library is so full with books from France, from Switzerland, from Barcelona, Spain, all these different places where artists just don't do the same thing that American artists do. And in looking at their work, that's for, it, it, it will blow your mind. The stuff that comes out, the stuff that you do, Vesper, it's, it, it's amazing. And so I, I sit there and I look at it. I will go through, just kind of look, wow, that's that's amazing. Okay, um, not copying, but what am I intrigued by? Am I intrigued by the, the texture, the color, um, the character, the subject, the narrative that's going on? What, what am I intrigued by? The last thing is music. Music. Is music is the other color on my palette to help me paint. And so it can be poems, it can be spoken word, uh, African music, gospel, and I play a lot of gospel music, but um, uh, anything that inspires and lifts my frequency. Because mm -hmm. it, like I said, again, I'm the person putting it out. And if I'm feeling depressed and sad or angry or uh, you know, frustrated and confused, then that's going to come out on the page. That's how sensitive I am to it. So I really need to kind of get myself in the groove. And so if that's listening to Earth, Wind and Fire, Moon Child, Jill Scott, um, uh, um, uh, any kind of jazz, uh, Thelonious Monk, Miles Davis, Bessie, Bessie Smith, anybody that lifts my spirit and makes me feel good, that's the pain on the palate. So when you have negative emotions, frustration, anger, do you ever create work through that? Do you process those through your work or do you try to really deal with that in prayer before you bring it to your work? You know, it's both Vesper. It's both. It's both. Deal with it in prayer. Definitely. You know, the, the one thing that we try to, uh, you know, and I don't know that I'm speaking to Christians or people who are just, you know, um, people who are atheists or whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this for me personally. God already knows what you're thinking. It's not like, oh, you just thought that out of the blue and he doesn't know. He knows what you're thinking. 
And what we try to do is pretend that we're not thinking that or that God doesn't see. He sees, he hears, and he knows. And so I just have a relationship with God where I'm bold enough to say, you know what? Today is, is pretty bad. It's pretty, I don't like it. I, I don't like it. I don't like how people respond to this, whatever. You know, and, and I get to give that to God. And getting that off of me frees me to really kind of be Vanessa, be the Vanessa that I'm supposed to be in creativity, not judging myself, not in competition. I'm in creativity. I am never in competition with other people. I am in creativity. And in doing so, it frees me to create things that are up here that make and bring me joy, that I hope will bring other people joy as well. So uh, in, in creating characters or or feelings or whatever, if whatever emotion. Sometimes I cry through work. When I did um, uh, The Youngest Marcher with Cynthia Levinson, I cried through that book because it was very, very real about the time that I was born in. And uh, it was the 1960s, I was born in 1963, but I still had to endure and still endure racism. But it was so apparent, you couldn't go to the same bathroom. Bless God, I can go to the same bathroom as you can go to now. But I remember my family not being able to do so. And when I got to those scenes where uh, Audrey wanted to just go to the ice cream stand and just have ice cream, I remember that. And so, yes, it was very emotional for me. Very emotional. So I work, I work through it by prayer and then by working it out in the art. So in a way, you're... At- you're not trying to hide or stuff your emotions and kind of unwittingly bring them to the work. You've you're dealing with them with the Lord, whether it's through prayer or the work. Yes. They're at least acknowledged and exactly. open, right? Exactly. So, in terms of you saying that you're very open and you you feel people very deeply, right? Well, even though you and I are both children's book illustrators, mm-hmm. that's not how I first heard about you. <laughs> so I was I was writing my novel A Cloud of Outrageous Blue which is about a girl with synesthesia and so in my research I came across this TED talk that you did about your own synesthesia. And for our listeners who don't know synesthesia is a neurological phenomenon that involves the crossing over of the senses, right? And I've found that a surprising number of artists have this. Have it. Yes. I do, I am not blessed with this gift. I really, I, I try to like, you know, squeeze it out. I'm like, can I, you know, <laughs> but I'm sorry. I, you know, I don't have that gift, but I wonder if you could talk about how synesthesia manifests in your own life. And when did you become aware that you saw things differently than other people? And I guess specifically in, in terms of that feeling deeply, do you feel like your synesthesia is kind of part of that way of being? Definitely. Um, been feeling this since I was a little girl. When people spoke to me, I often saw their words come out of their mouth in color. It was, you know, if it was something that was not nice that they were saying, it would come out in a brown color or very gray, very muddy colors. But when they sang, like when my mother sang, I saw yellow, I saw orange, I saw red, I saw the rainbow coming out of her mouth. And uh, if you look at my children's books, sometimes there is a, a scene where a child will be doing something and you'll see 
colors coming out of their mouths because that's what I see. As a person with synesthesia, words take on color for me as well. But to explain to the audience, synesthesia is the ability to see, smell, feel, taste, and hear color. And words, words take on color. So I'm very careful now about what comes out of my mouth because I don't want something muddy coming out. It's got to be yellow. Yellow is my power color. I love wearing yellow. Um, I try to put yellow around me, like right in front of me right now, the uh, Vincaster. Um, there's a line across the screen that's bright yellow, and it's kind of keeping me focused, which, which I love. Um, synesthesia is a blessing and also very disruptive as well, because there are colors that can throw me off. One of the one indeed is army green. It not the color I like to see it reminds me of course, army green is for army to be hid in the woods or wherever they had to go. But it reminds me of war. That's what it reminds me of. It's not like the fashionable color that people call it. You know, for me, it's war. It's confusion. It's I, something I don't like. And so other colors, blue is the sound of music. All music has a blue sound uh, uh, to me. Harmonies have, it's the color of harmony. That's what I call it. Um, then there is pink. Pink is also the color that sounds like bells to me. Whenever I hear bells, I hear pink. You know, and so certain things are very, very comforting and certain things are very scary, you know, as far as colors are concerned. But the books that I do are very, very colorful. They're filled with color because they're words and pictures going together for me. So I'm putting down the color of the words that the story is telling me, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think it was, um, I think I noticed it in Becoming Vanessa that there are, I mean, in my book, I did this too, sort of synesthesia clouds, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I noticed that there's like, there's a lot of times, like there's sort of a halo of color around the character of Vanessa. And I wondered if that was... Yes, it was. And I did want to talk about Becoming Vanessa too, because that is your most recent project that just came out. Yeah. And so the title and the main character tell me that maybe it's a little bit autobiographical, perhaps. Yes, it is. Yes, it so, is. You've illustrated many, many books at this point. And so why why becoming Vanessa now? I think with the internet and almost a generation of children not really knowing who they are, uh, parents not knowing who they are. You know, if you're blessed to have a parent that will speak over you and tell you, you know, you're, you're going to, you've had some struggles, but you're going to be just fine. We believe in you. Uh, not everybody's gotten that. There's a bunch of people that have not had kind words spoken over them. Okay. Uh, some of the words have been very harsh. You're dumb. You're stupid. You're ugly. You're, 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 you're a mess. You're lazy. You're not, you're never going to amount to anything. And sometimes those are the words, unfortunately, that take root inside of us so deeply. And when it comes from a parent, when it comes from a, a, a sibling, it is the most painful because what you think in your head is, this is the place where I should be able to be myself. This is the place where I should be accepted. And when you're not, that message is sent to you and you take it out, unfortunately, into the world with you. So nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. 
I, I'm never going to succeed. I'm, I can never do that. Oh, they could do that better than me. And we constantly keep measuring ourselves by these things. And what I wanted children to do was when they saw Vanessa, Vanessa puts on all of these clothes and she thinks she has to put on her red, uh, um, her, her um, green beret. She has to put on her uh, a boa. She has to put on her shiny red shoes and, and all these different things to make her stand out when all she had to do was be Vanessa. That's all she had to be. And, you know, e even mom didn't fight it. You know, she, she kind of helped. Hey, listen, you pick out your own outfit. And, and, and sometimes that's what we have to do to our children is let them find out on their own and come back with the questions of, why, why didn't this work? Because you are enough. At the end of the day, you are enough. And no, baby, the truth is everybody's not going to like you. But the question is, do you like you? That's what's most important. Because when you like you, it really doesn't matter where everybody else is on this. It matters what you think about you. And if I can put that Vesper in every child, is to fill their spirit up with such confidence that it takes the whole world to knock it down. I'll do it. I'll do it. It's what I've been trying to do with my own kid. Is I want I want her to feel loved and respected and and acknowledged. And you matter. You I don't care what the world tells you. You matter. But do you know you matter? That's right. That's the thing. And so Vanessa finds this. And, and for me, the name Vanessa was very, very important because when I was going to school, one of my teachers, like I said, I was went in a predominantly white school and the teacher said to me, what's your name? I said, um, Vanessa. She goes, um, that name is too big for you. What? And I kind of looked like, what, what does that mean that my name is too big for me? And I went home and I told my mom and dad, why'd you name me Vanessa? It, you know, the teacher said that my name was too big for me. And my mother and father looked at me and my mom was pregnant with my brother that we later lost. She says to me, she said, you know why I named you Vanessa? Because Vanessa means butterfly. What do you love more than anything else to make? And as a child, I loved painting butterflies. Pouring that paper, uh, with filling the paper with paint and then smacking it together and then opening it up and there was an instant butterfly. I loved doing that. And she said, we named you Vanessa because that's what you like to do. And butterflies don't change, they transform. And one day, Vanessa, you're going to transform into the person that you're supposed to be. I hold that with me every single day. That's amazing. Wow, it's incredible. And you, you know, that teacher that would say something like that to a child, I think adults can often be so careless. And who knows what she meant? Yeah. You know, yeah. it's not like you can go back all these years later and say, what exactly did, that's such a strange thing to say. What did you mean by that? Mm -hmm. You know, but it's, but as children, we internalize things and we interpret things the way that we're going to, yeah. you know, and, it, you know, to carry such a heavy burden. I, I think that adults need to be so, so careful with how they speak to children Definitely. to put their own, their own burdens on kids. Definitely. You know, and I, I think you and I feel this so strongly as we work for kids, you know? Mm-hmm. It, it, is, it is important that parents not put their fears on their children. Really, so really evaluate where you're coming from. When, when your kid tells you, I'm going to be a star, and you're sitting there going, ah, mm -hmm. it's not going to, you don't, you don't know. I think that children prophesy a lot about who they're going to be. And mm -hmm. we kind of sit there and go, no, that's not going to happen or whatever. Yeah, you, you I can imagine if. No, 
Yeah. Yeah. And imagine if you did have, like you said, adults in your life who were speaking identity over you and who were drawing that out of you. And sometimes that's not a parent. That's right. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes it's not. It's a, You're absolutely yeah. right. Sometimes it's a grandparent. Sometimes it's, you know, these teachers that you had that, you know, identified that in you and drew it out, gave you the confidence to move forward. Absolutely. I told you. Yes. Well, Vanessa, where can people connect with you? You can find me on Facebook at Vanessa Newton. You can also find me on Instagram at Vanessa Newton uh, or Vanessa Brantley Newton um, on Instagram. And you can find me also on my website, VanessaBrantleyNewton.com. Awesome. And we'll put that in the show notes. Thank you so much for speaking with me today. It's been an absolute pleasure. I'm so glad to see you and I hope we can see each other in person again. Absolutely. (laughs) I'm looking forward to it, Vesper. You're so beautiful and your spirit is just shining, shining, shining. Keep shining that beautiful light. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. Be sure to see the show notes of today's episode for links to Vanessa's work and details on how you can support the production of these podcasts. See you next time.